That delighted me no end. Every time that I could decide to call a chapter or a section after a song, and it became a thing. I mean, there's a large percentage of chapter headings that are song titles. Music is so profoundly important to me. I don't know, as a human, I find, again, back to that goal of connecting, connecting with art, but as human beings, how art connects us. I never tired of revisiting those songs and then loving being able to use them as a convention kind of in the book as headings for chapters and sections. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Today we are in for a real treat. Our guest is a bona fide rock star. The beloved songwriter and Bangles co-founder, Susanna Hoffs, has written a delightfully funny and steamy debut novel about music, fate, and love. With raves from the New York Times, the LA Times, NPR, and with blurbs from the likes of Tom Parada and Helen Fielding, Christina Lauren, and Jasmine Guillory, This Bird Has Flown is the deeply sexy, riotously funny, and utterly joyful story of down-on-her-luck, one-hit wonder, pop star Jane Stark. The novel explores love, passion, and the ghosts of our past, and it offers a glimpse inside the music business that could only come from a true insider. I am Ron Block. And I'm Meg Walker. Boasting one of pop music's most beloved voices, Susanna Hoffs graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in art. In 1981, she co-founded The Bangles, with whom she recorded and released a string of chart-topping singles, including Matic Monday, Walk Like an Egyptian, Hazy Shade of Winter, and Eternal Flame, a song she also co-wrote, before embarking on a critically acclaimed solo career. She also wrote, recorded music for, and appeared in the Austin Powers movies, and played herself on season one of The Gilmore Girls. This Bird Has Flown is her first novel. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, filmmaker Jay Roach. Susanna, welcome to Friends in Fiction. So thrilled to have you here on the podcast. Oh, it's it's such, such a, a pleasure to be here. Oh. I'm so excited to talk to you both. It's great. Both. And reading the book and listening to this music again in my head again and again. Thank you for the earworms and yes. preparing mm. for the podcast. It's just it's like kept coming back and back and loved every minute of it. Absolutely. Thank you. So we've said a little bit about what the book is about, but we'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about the story. And then one of our favorite questions on Friends in Fiction is, what's the book really about? Ah, <laughs> well, it had been a lifelong dream for me personally to write a novel. I've been a reader my entire life. I love disappearing into stories, into fictions. And there was just this moment where I had this epiphany and my older son had sort of mentioned to me 
at the same time, you know, mom, why don't you try writing a book? I had written a screenplay, many screenplays over the years, but they always seemed to have found their way onto a shelf after being optioned by a studio. So it got to almost to the finish line and then never really saw the light of day. And that comment from my older son, mom, why don't you write that novel you've always dreamed of writing? It really was like a light bulb moment for me. And once I started to embark on the journey of writing, just doing it from a place of loving books and just being kind of self-taught in a way, I just found this unexpected pleasure in the experience of it. Even though it was hard and took a lot of focus and years to do, I'm just addicted to the process now. Good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I just started on a new endeavor. So I'm back there at square one, <laughs> trying to figure out what it all is. But I love the puzzling out of the creative process. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. It. Well, I'm an 80s kid. And so I was well aware of the legendary Sam Hoffs. But when I saw that you had written a novel, I was immediately intrigued. And I'll confess, it wasn't until I read Beatrice Williams' rave review of your book in the New York Times book review that I knew immediately how to snap it up. So... Beatrice calls This Bird Has Flown a total knockout and the smart, ferocious rock star redemption romance you did not know you needed. Beatrice's review itself is so well written. In fact, I nearly wrote her a fan letter. I mean, I'm in touch with her occasionally for work things. And so I almost wrote to her to be like, that review was amazing. I mean, about a book review. Anyway, I could not possibly be more glad that I picked this book up. And as soon as I did, like the all caps, oh my God, we have to have her on the show text flying around the Friends and Fiction crew. Anyway, that's my first question. Um, but this is a thank you to your son, by the way, for convincing you to write this novel. <laughs> we are so happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, but can you tell us where the germ of the idea came from? And, and like, how long was it the process from like a nagging idea at the recesses of your brain until you actually had a, a full-blown novel on your hands? Mm, it was several years. I mean, probably like five years, really, um, from the the initial light bulb moment of, yeah, why don't I try writing a novel uh, upon Jackson's prompt to me? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I have to think back now. I mean, I definitely had been I had been thinking a lot about the two books. One was Jane Eyre and the other one was Rebecca, both of which I had read many times in my life over the course of my life. And I started to sort of think about the themes of those books, you know, that, and, the, and in the case of Jane Eyre, the fierceness of that character of Jane Eyre. Um, and, and, I, and I started to think about um, this idea of a down-on-her-luck pop star, one-hit wonder, who um, meets a mysterious stranger and finds herself in this gothic setting along the lines of uh, uh, Thornfield Hall. Is, I mean, getting it right sometimes, like, Manderley <laughs> is the home in Rebecca. Manderley is Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, Thornfield yeah, is where Rochester lives. And I started to think of a uh, a kind of modern version of a Jane Eyre story, except, you know, the character isn't 18 and he's, you know, <laughs> three times her age or something <laughs> like that. I mean, and that Tom would would have an intrigue of his own in being just Jane being attracted to his sort of quiet demeanor. But the fact that he was an Oxford professor of literature was very compelling to Jane, a very 
very much like a turn on (laughs) this idea of, you know, not your typical romantic hero, but like someone that, that she would fall in love with someone who was bookish and, and soft-spoken and sort of was the, a counterpart to her kind of energy, which is very, um, she's always, Jane's a character that sort of buzzes with energy. Her, her emotions are very close close at hand all the time. She, she, she's a bit impulsive. And so I like the, that, the kind of combination of him being the sort of cool, calm one and her being the sort of butterfly flittering around trying to sort of ground herself. And, and that I, I, I like that aspect. And then I like the idea of, you know, was there some redemption for Jane? You know, I, and I could take some of my own experiences in the music business versus being a musician. I, I, they're two distinctly different things. And there's one thing to be an artist and to want to make stuff and feel compelled to make stuff that, you know, lightning is always striking in your head and you have to like, (laughs) you have to fulfill the, you know, the, prophecy of it or whatever. You have to go there. You have to do, do the thing. And the idea of the music business, which tends to put you in a box and categorize you and you, you, you lose a lot of autonomy because you're part of a business model. And, you know, I, I always describe that feeling of what it, what it's like to walk into a record company and see, you know, a bunch of guys in suits and, feel that they're sort of like looking you over to see if you're going to make the magic happen, do the thing, have the hit, make the money star, make the and make the money, you know, at the end of the day too, you know, for them, it's a, it's a financial, you know, institution, you know, it's a, it's a money making business. You're in business with someone because I never think about art from a business standpoint. I think about art, as my own love affair with art and my own addiction to art and my own need to constantly consume it, you know, whether it's listening to music or watching movies and re-watching and re-listening to things because I feel like I want to learn how good things are made or things that have moved me are made. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work on the book was trying to figure that stuff out alone, which was also great because it forced me to really, I mean, writing a novel was the first creation really that I ever did compl- alone in a room for year, for several years. Yes. Just uh, my family couldn't figure out what the hell had happened to me. Like <laughs> she's in the room. Yeah. She's still in her pajamas. It's a pretty solitary uh, profession, right? It's, yeah. I a know. lot of alone time. A lot of alone time. And I'm a very social person by nature. So Nobody could figure out why I was locked in that room. Is she okay in <laughs> or, there? Or, yeah, is she okay in there? And 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 Jay would cut, sometimes go, oh, I hear her giggling to herself. And she, he'd say, what are you laughing about? And I was like, none of your business. I'm in, my characters are having fun in bed together right now. You know, s- scram. You know, like, it was funny. It was funny, but... Um, and now that I'm in the midst of starting a new thing. It's like all over again, this sort of feeling of, um, and I just put one foot in front of the other, but I realized, you know, I'm on this big research kick now just to kind of get the, the tone of this next book to, to get the, the yummy stuff that I need. 
that, and I have post-its everywhere. There's post-its all over the place with scribbled ideas. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and go, what was that? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. that's Where'd good. That I, I, I need that, <laughs> you know? So it's that, it's that, that I discovered. And I just actually had my first, uh, I got together with a musician friend cause I thought it's been ages since I sat down and wrote a song and it was, and it, and it, as I suspected, it's a very different kind of process mm. in a certain way than sitting alone and crafting a novel. <laughs> I mean, figuring right. out the complexities of story arcs and predicaments. And I mean, within a three-minute song, you, you have to compress all that. But it's like trying to write a poem. It's mm-hmm. really a haiku, practically. Yeah. It's, whereas you have this great freedom with novel writing that I, that was the unexpected thing, you know, the pleasure of that, luxuriating in that. Kind of drying it out. Love that, love that. So as you mentioned, you um, you talked about um, music a lot and um, Jane and Tom, they communicate a lot in the book through music. They play songs for each other at just the right moment. They use songs as touchstones in their relationships. Did you have as much fun writing those parts as we as readers had consuming it? Again, talking about uh, earworms, your <laughs> chapter titles were like spot on and they had me going Aww, the whole thank time. You. Yeah, that delighted me no end. Every time that I could decide to call a chapter or a section after a song and it became a thing. I mean, there's a large percentage of chapter headings that are song titles. Music is so profoundly important to me. I don't know, as a human, I find, again, back to that goal of connecting, right? connecting with art, but as human beings, how art connects us. I never tired of revisiting those songs and then loving being able to use them as a convention kind of in the book as headings for chapters and sections. That's great. And some of them were like obscure. Is it, was one of them like tiny bubbles? Yeah. yeah the Don Ho song. I love that. I love the Don that. Ho song. I loved, I loved that, I, that, that chapter. And, 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 you know, at one point I thought, do I spell this all out? Do I describe that it's Don Ho and the bubbles and there's the, the way that it all was interwoven in, in the writing and the storytelling. It, it became so pleasurable for me as a, as a lover of music. And I figured, and that's why I dedicated the book to uh, music lovers and lovers everywhere, because being a musician and being a lover of music and um, I just, I don't know, it was just early on. That was another thing that came to me. So the the, the idea of um, anytime I could inserting names of songs and creating kind of a playlist woven throughout Mm. the book, both for the characters and for the reader and for myself, um, because it was fun. Uh, yeah, it became sort of thematic to the book. Did you did you make an actual playlist for this book? Like, is there one published? Yeah, I was just it's, thinking the it's, same thing. It's on my Spotify. If you oh, go to, okay. um, if you use Spotify, because yes. um, they allow for the playlist, there is a, and it has the, the cover of the book on it. So it's pretty easy to find. So you have to go to... Um, my name, Susanna Hoffs, on Spotify, and then find my page. Oh, and then fun. S- I will be. Scroll, scroll down, yeah. and I have it. You know, there was a couple of songs, I think, that I, uh, that, well, Joni took her music off Spotify. There's a couple that are right. missing because yes. um, they're not, the, those artists that don't want to be on Spotify. But, um, yes, you can find, you know, 98% 
of the songs in the awesome. book fair. Absolutely. Ooh, got a race yeah. right there after this. Yeah. I know. I know what I'm <laughs> doing tonight. You. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they say write what you know, and you've definitely done that. Um, so in addition to the, the playlist and the song lyrics and all that, um, you really pull back the curtain on the rock world with backstage antics and what tour prep is like and costuming snafus and all the outsized egos in the music industry. So how much of that music world stuff is real and based on the things uh, that you saw or that actually happened in the Bengals universe and in your, in your real life? I definitely realized as I began to write initially um, Jane playing the Royal Albert Hall for this iconic rock star who in my mind, I had this picture of Killian Murphy because I'd watched Peaky Blinders and he had this com combination of kind of an innocent, almost childlike face, but he was had this sort of killer, killer character, this killer instinct and kind of, you know, scary guy. And I, I liked, I know what it's like to be intimidated and feel, um, it just in in the music business is just have, and and not not intimidated because someone's truly scary, but just because they're so talented. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been witness to you know opening the Bengals opened for Queen, and I just watched wow. Freddie Mercury. It was the last gig I think that he did at Slane Castle in Ireland in front of it was raining. It was a mud fest. It was like a Woodstock mud fest with the fans, um, but. Yeah, you can find that footage actually on YouTube. But we watched, we had already performed and we watched from the side of the stage. I've been witness to- You're like, I've seen how do Robert. I follow that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we, 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 I've witnessed, you know, people like Robert Plant, uh, Freddie mm. Mercury, you know, um, all kinds- Loads of loads of artists. I've gone to their shows or been lucky enough to been the opening band for some of these artists, and and I, so I was able to kind of channel some of those memories of what it's like to be just gobsmacked by someone's talent and the the level of charisma, you know, because the Bengals were really kind of a scrappy garage band. Although you know, over the years, because of the birth of video, people think of us from the videos, but our actual stage presence was, was more rooted in garage rock from the sixties and not, we weren't, we didn't have, you know, fancy staging. We would come out there just us with the, with the guitars and, and do our thing. So, um, you know, I've seen a lot of different sides of the music business, but for Jane, and then this is where I, back to your question, I could channel the feeling that I would feel if I had to open for, or, or I had to be part of the show for, uh, and, and, and be witnessing a performance of a true, you know, someone up on the order of a Freddie Mercury or a Bowie, you know, um, and that's, I just walked myself through that, through the eyes of Jane. That's the fun thing about being a uh, writing fiction and writing a novel is that while you're, you're actually, for me at least, I'm, and I write in first person. I wrote the book in first person. Um, you are so, you have to kind of go into each of the characters' brains. You have to kind of inhabit your made up character and, and try to understand how they tick. 
what they think about. So I had to do that with Jane. And it was really interesting writing that stuff because I just sublimated it. That's just what I do. I, I'll warm up. I'll, I'll, I, I actually used to, I always sort of try to warm up in the old days with the bangles. I would warm, I would warm up. I'm picking the wrong, picking up the wrong kind of glass with a glass of wine. That was the warm up, you know, (laughs) get a little bit, have that little wine in my system. I haven't had a drink in many, many years, but I had to replace that with listening to something, listening to Prince, listening to, you know, some cool R and B and just moving my body before I walked onto a stage because it's terrifying. It's actually, you have to, you have to not go, Oh my God, there's a bunch of people staring at me. Wow. And and just be a deer in the headlights, you know? So, but, but writing it was a journey into like something that, that was sort of sublimated for myself, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's fascinating. I love it. Um, So in addition to the music though, um, there's a lot of literary references in the book and you're clearly a huge reader or else you're a good faker. I don't know which. <laughs> no, I'm a big reader. <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. Um, so are some of the books and authors that have uh, most impacted you in the book? Are there some that you could tell us about? Well, I mean, again, back to Jane Eyre and Rebecca, those were two books that I really, really loved to, for, on a lot of levels. But I also read, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of John Updike. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, this is an unexpected thing. Um, I think when I mention it, but, um, I, I, I really, I really love his writing. I'm, I love Fitzgerald. Um, I, I tend, I, I, you know, Nabokov is in that camp too. I I like really lyrical, beautiful sentences. And Mm -hmm. I, I like it when, when they roll out in a kind of poetic way. And I, I marvel at those. And I always say like, I could open, you know, the great Gatsby or, or, or something. And, and there would be this sentence and I'd just be like gobsmacked by it, you know, like this is, so I get, I get, I get into the, I don't know, weeds with a close read of a sentence, but I can also pull back and love a story and, and the, the crafting of the characters and the, I like things that are, are not, I, I tend to be attracted to things that have some darkness in them Ooh. too, you know, and um, sadness. I, I, yeah. I don't, I, yes. I, I like that. I don't, I'm not looking for, um, I like to go deep in, into, into the whole, into it all, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it. Sure. I, I really do like that. And so, and I like characters that are fraught or that are people that overtly we wouldn't necessarily want to hang out yeah. with, but they're fascinating. Right. Yes. You know, I like people, I like the flaws. That's why writing about Jonesy, that's why writing about the character of Freddie, who's one of Tom's old friends mm, yeah. from Oxford, Tom Jane's love interest. Mm-hmm. I, I found his swagger and self-importance. <laughs> so, um, Charming yeah. and it's so fun to write. I mean, I, I liked. We've all I we've all the, known people like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they're just a delight to write, even if you wouldn't. You'd be rolling your eyes, maybe in person, yeah. secretly. Yeah, per, you know, you might go, "Oh boy, this person's a bit pompous." But it's kind of. I found that that 
Freddie's pomposity uh, sort of endearing. Yeah. You know, because there was something where he either didn't care or he was absolutely clueless about it. But he was a kind of a good raconteur. So, you know, you need somebody like that Definitely. in a book, I think. Yes, Entertaining, I agree. For sure. Then you could appreciate the opposite when that comes along. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So you write about music and you write about books and literature. And there's definitely some steamy scenes in this book. And on top of that, you're also really funny on the page. Um Mm-hmm. I love that Jane is self-deprecating, but she's never the buffoon, right? Like, as the reader, we laugh. We definitely laugh with her and not at her. And we have a ball um, rooting her on, um, even when she won't get out of her own way, which is often. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about how you crafted Jane and her story arc and, and how, how you made her so relatable. I didn't intend for the book to have... Uh, be comedy actually weirdly it came out naturally and i think jane's coping mechanism as everything is going wrong much of the time for her is that she has something like this indomitable spirit inside of her that just has to find some lightness in it and she and so the the comedy came from in some ways her friendship with her manager pippa and like me, I, I, I love my friends. I, I need my friends. They're, we're there for each other. And it always seems that when, when we're, we're a friend, if I'm with a friend and we're working through each, we're there to work, to help each other with each other's struggles in a relationship or anything that comedy turning, turning it's into somehow something light has always been a great way through. Um, and so I found myself not intending to write things that were funny, but it, it just, by nature of how I was sort of channeling the energy and the relationship between characters, it just turned out to be, I guess. And it was an unexpected um, thing. And, and then, you know, I started to, to realize that people were enjoying it and it was fun. It made, it made it fun. Well, I, you know, cause it's warts and all, right. I mean, there's several characters in this book were kind of a hot mess. And I think that's, it's funny because it's real and perfect. Isn't funny, you know? <laughs> yeah. Perfect is that's nice true. and it's aspirational, but it certainly isn't funny or it's not relatable to me anyway, because yeah. Yeah. we've all got our hot mess sides to us. I think, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Early on, I realized that Jane grappling with her predicament, being a one hit wonder, finding herself having to perform at a bachelor party and all that stuff. There was only one choice for her, which was to kind of, you know, not go totally dark on the situation and just kind of find some coping mechanism. And for her, it was like, you know, picturing herself at the gynecologist's office <laughs> right before she's going to walk on stage with, with her legs up and at s- somebody's head down between her thighs there doing their thing. And I just started to think of these things. And um, I realized that, that, you know, it made Jane fun to write, that she's like, no matter how shitty it is or how, how what's yeah. happening, that she kind of figures out a way almost all the time she's capable of doing that. Um, to just sort of do a reset for herself and try to find something fun in it or something funny in it. So it's like, it's, so that, that, that was 
fun. And also I love writing characters so much um, that, that I thought, you know, when you're hanging out with your friends, you do try to make each other laugh. Even if you're, if the conversation starts out where you need them to help you solve some problem in your life, if you can, if it can, can morph into something that's lighter, that's a, that's another way to, to sort of make life a little less difficult, you know? So I brought that into it because it's just, certainly she has a lot of predicaments in the story. Definitely. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the beginning because for me, when that first (laughs) scene, when she had to perform at the bachelor party, like that's what drew me into the whole book. I said, I'm in, I'm in for whatever, wherever this is going. I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, good. Yeah. But um, you mentioned a little bit about this earlier, but I want to dig in a little bit more. Um, How does the storytelling differ for you between fiction writing and songwriting? Is there common threads? You talked about how different they were, but are there common threads? They're common threads. I think at the end of the day, you have ability to be more expansive, obviously, when you write something that's several hundred pages and you go, you're able to tell these, a longer story in more detail. I think, but I think the similarity is that at the core some of the goals or some of the, yeah, some of the goals are the same. Like in a song, you're trying to, uh, you're in particular, well, this is a similarity and a difference. Like I just worked on a song yesterday. You're wanting to write about something that you hope other people will connect with. You're trying to tell a story within, in the, within the lyrics of the song, which in whatever story is encompassed in, whether it's about a heartbreak, whether it's about anything, but just a heartbreak is an easy example. And it really is kind of like haiku or something. You have to, it's so precise and, and, and it's so uh, often, um, not always, but the idea that it has a rhythm, a meter and a rhyme scheme is, is just makes it you know, it puts a, it in a box. more like yeah. working at a haiku or something, right, you know, right. not quite that strict, but obviously, but you're trying to communicate something both, but you have the benefit of having the melody to do part of the work yeah. for you. So you don't have yeah. that in a novel. That's true. You don't have it in a novel, but that's why I think I also was attracted to um, a lyricism, hoping for a lyricism and a rhythm in, in the prose. But, um, you know, obviously the book is what, 300 pages or something. And Mm -hmm. a song is three minutes. So how do you typically, so I'm, I really had a chance yesterday when I was working on the song with a friend, um, to really see the, the stark contrast of the two. And yet to know that at the end of the day, in both forms, a, a several hundred page novel versus a three minute song experience. You still want to touch somebody and and make that little spark, like two things coming together. It makes this little spark of like, I felt that. Mm-hmm. I know what that I know what that sorrow is, or I know what that bliss is. Mm-hmm. Or I want it, or I want it vicariously. Yeah. And I I know that I am addicted to the vicarious pleasure I get from reading novels or watching a movie or any kind of, you know, listening to a great song. I it's it's transformative. It's like you kind of disappear from your own world, but you have 
such a human connection to this other thing that another human made. I don't know. It's really no, it's hard great. to put it to words. I mean, it's all storytelling. It. Right? I mean, it's, yeah, it, yeah. you know, the best, to me, the best songs tell a story. So, I mean, it, it, it's all storytelling, but I can appreciate how it's a very different craft from yes, one to the other. Yes, exactly. Different road to get there. Totally. Yes. Well, so the bulk of the story takes place in England, actually, um, which, you know, I'd love to hear more about the choice to do that and, and whether that made your life a little harder. Cause I mean, I think you're a California girl. Um, and um, to my American ear, you really nailed all the Britishisms. And so I wondered if there was research involved in doing that, or if, if you were just already so well-versed from a lifetime of travel and touring or if you lived there or anything. No, I did have never lived there. I have traveled and toured there, but you're right. There was a tremendous amount of research. I started early on watching as many British shows as I could <laughs> possibly get my hands on. And because Inspector Morse, the Morse series mm -hmm. that lasted for like 25 seasons or something through decades, um, I watched every single episode and I had a notebook next to me and I would just write down Brit Britishisms and especially stuffy Oxford, yeah. self-serious professors and the way that they talk. Um, and I made I made like like vocab lists of funny words that that Americans don't use. And I made multiple trips to Oxford. Uh, the same kid Jackson who gave me the prompt, "What are you waiting for? Write that novel, Mom." Um, he was doing a term, a, a Stanford abroad program in Oxford. So I had an excuse to visit multiple times. Oh, great. Um, and I've since been in Oxford. I was just there in June. Um, and I've, I'm in love with that city, you know, so it helped to fall in love with that city. I visited all the places that I'd written about in the book, all the little shops that I loved, all the air, the grounds that I used to walk through. I went to Maudlin College. I, we sat in on a on a, a little, you know, uh, I don't know, sermon. I guess it was a, a specific uh, thing they were doing. That the churches opened almost all all day and all night, as mm. far as I can tell. So there's always something going on there. But we sat in. The choir was singing. It was beautiful. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was just there in June. And it was so, partly to do promotion for the book, but it was so great to spend that time in Oxford. I love it. Yeah, and that comes through with the book too. And I, I'm just going to say one word: forearms. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> just that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny that there, I did the I did a interview for um, CBS Morning with Anthony Mason. It was so fun, and the, there were two young female producers. Uh, that were working with him on the piece that we did. And I unexpectedly, I was asked to read an excerpt, but uh, the girls, the two girls picked it out. And it was, I think it was the forearm. There might've been me <laughs> the reading forearm. the forearm thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Ever since I finished the book, I've noticed a couple of times uh, a sexy forearm or two. And it makes me yes. think yeah. of you. Yeah. Isn't it? I wouldn't yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of the fun things that... Um, that I discovered in the in the writing again. I didn't set out to write something that would make you laugh particularly, but um, I also just, you know, you go so you're just. I always describe it like I'm. I would be thinking about the book and writing the book, and I'd be seeing it, 
mm-hmm. seeing yeah. it as if a movie screen came down. And I'm sure I'm not the only author who sees what you, I think maybe you have to, or maybe not, maybe you don't, but in my case, it would, it would happen. And so I would just be, if, if a character is there and in my mind, I look down and I think, oh, that's a sexy forearm, you know, or something. <laughs> I, I thought, well, that should go in the book, you know, <laughs> totally. because I'm channeling through these characters, yeah. but there you go. But um, why not? Yeah, why not? So um, let's talk a little bit about book tour because it's. Uh, I'm assuming it's not the same as a band tour. Um, but but tell us about the book tour a little bit. And did you have some fun? We saw on Instagram that some lucky people got to uh, witness a little musical performance. So it had to be kind of fun. Yes. Um, well, it it was very fun. Um, Jay went with me on it and was kind of my tour manager. And so it, it wasn't like a ba- the, old, the Bengals tour manager going with me, but <laughs> it was really special because like he, he wanted to go and support what he had witnessed all these years in my pajamas, <laughs> you know, locked in a room, locked in a room, <laughs> writing until midnight, you know? Um, so, um, I did bring my guitar because um, it became kind of a fun thing to just kind of talk about how my experience as a musician sort of flowed into the process of writing a character who's a musician. Um, And I could play little bits off my phone, like the theme from Shaft, for example, (laughs) which is a very important music cue (laughs) and, and a very important song in my life. Um, I would. I was able to. So the guitar, my ability to talk about songs that inspired it, kind of, kind of made an interweaving of you know the novelist me and the music person me, and it was a kind of fun conversation to have with the people who would show up at the book events. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Well, we heard there's. Um... A movie deal in the works for this bird has flown, and I know things must be on hold somewhat with the writer strike. But what work can you tell us on that front, as far as the movie news? Well, early on, actually, I have a really wonderful book agent who I met on this book when my friend Margie pried the manuscript out of my hand and said, <laughs> "You must send it to an agent." And and I and I I might be repeating myself here, but I was like. I don't have a literary agent. She goes, send it to mine. Anyway, that started this great relationship with Sarah. But um, early on, interestingly, when Little Brown wanted to buy the book, there was a plan in the works to, uh, because everybody who had read the manuscript along with Sarah, um, Sarah wanted, um, turns out, an old friend of mine who's a fiction to film um, agent Hmm. to read it as well, Sylvie Rabineau. So Sylvie, so early on in the process, and this delighted me no end because I saw the book as a movie as I was writing it, as I, it was kind of a way that I envisioned it. Um, Just, just, I had to see it. So it, I always, it had a cinematic quality, the writing process for me just to try to yeah, just how I how how it came to pass. But so early on, um, there were a lot of meetings with movie producers and then ultimately a movie studio. So Universal bought the rights to my book. And I had two of my favorite female film producers that I've known just through Jay's career as a filmmaker, Liza Chasen 
and Bruna Papandrea, they teamed up to do to produce the film adaptation. So this was in the works a, a while ago. Oh, great. But I was able to do wow. so, a couple of drafts of the novel. And um, I submitted um, a draft, which, you know, Universal has, and they seem to be happy with it. I'm sure it'll take some more revisions, just like anything. Um, but uh, right now, everything's on hold. But yes, they're, they're, you know, with all the, uh, all the, what is the word? Uh, if everything comes together as planned, mm -hmm. there is a film adapt. There will be a film adaptation of This Bird Has Flown. Oh, fantastic. That is exciting. Fantastic. So I, I heard in another interview that I listened to with you that um, you've consulted with some pretty big names on adapting a book for, for the screen, and specifically books about music. So what can you tell us about your conversations with the likes of Taylor Jenkins Reid and Nick Hornby? I've heard you talk to him too. Oh, yeah, I talked to both Nick and Taylor. I didn't really get to have much of a conversation specifically about adapting their material, but I got to meet them, and I'm a huge fan of both of them. Yeah, me too. I think Nick told me that he tends to have other people. This is interesting. Okay, first of all, Nick and I, I met him about a year ago, and we've stayed in touch because we're both music fanatics, and he shares these incredible playlists that he makes. But I believe he often has other people adapt his novels and he does a lot of adaptations of other people's novels oh, interesting. for the screen, I didn't know that. Huh, oh. which I didn't realize. Huh. So I felt very strongly that I didn't want to hand off this creation that I made that I worked so hard on and for so many years and so diligently, I felt very strongly that I wanted to write the screenplay. And I met no resistance, by the way, on that. It was oh, great. great. I think the fact that I had written the novel and the producers and Universal loved the novel. They just read it. That's what happens. You know, it was all new to me. I didn't know how it all worked, but I found out early on that even before a book is done, if there's excitement about it and people are liking the book, the wheels start to be put in motion to think about, oh, this would make a great film adaptation or not. But in my case, there was a lot of that. So I was like, oh, great. Good, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Susanna, in talking to you now, it's like very evident that your creativity knows no bounds. Yeah. So we are hoping that you're going to write more fiction and we want to know if there's maybe some music in the works or oh, what's, yeah. what's coming next from you. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. And I'm so grateful to be on your podcast and to hear those kind words. So I have an album out that I made with Peter Asher that I did again during the pandemic. One of my favorite producers, an icon. He did the first James Taylor records. He worked with Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, Linda yeah. Ronstadt. was a favorite. I love I him. I know. Heart Like a Wheel and Prisoner Ugh. in Disguise. As a little kid and a teenager, I learned to sing from Linda's well, records. I didn't. I didn't sing, but I was a big fan. <laughs> Yay, I know. Oh, well, I sang, a... but nobody heard me. <laughs> oh, God. Nobody wanted to okay. listen. <laughs> My family was so sick of hearing me sing along to records that they would like come by and like close the door and I'd be like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. It's me singing along to the Linda Ronstadt record again. <laughs> but I taught myself that way. Just like I've always been self-taught. I don't know why I'm too impatient <laughs> right. to do this serious study of these things. But so wait, you were asking specifically about- We're talking about Peter Asher and, and the project oh, you yeah, did together. And then yeah. any fiction coming. Yes. I've started a new book 
I have three singles that are going to be released on the heels of the latest album with the Peter Asher one. So I have a lot in the works and I just started writing songs again. So it's all happening. Hooray. There's a lot going on. I couldn't be more thrilled about all of same, that. Same, same. Thank you. Well, the world already knows that you've mastered the fine art of the pop hit in the 80s. And now, lucky us, it turns out you are also a master of the rom-com. Thank you. So anyone that's looking for a whip smart, super sexy, tons of fun, incredibly satisfying novel where the pages just fly by, I implore you to go buy a copy of This Bird Has Flown right now. You know you can get it at a discount in the Friends and Fiction shop on bookshop.org, right? All the bookshop.org purchases help support indie booksellers nationwide. And all those purchases made in our shop support our show, too. So go and buy Susanna's book right now. Right now. <laughs> right now. You won't regret it. Susanna, thank you so much for being here. This has been such a thrill and just everything I thought it would be and more. Same. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out. It's been so much fun. And thank you so much for the support of This Bird Has Flown. Absolutely. Of course. And I want to say a big thank you to our listeners. We're so grateful that you've chosen to join us for this episode. And we encourage you to subscribe so you never miss a thing. Please drop us a rating or a review and tell a friend if you like what you hear. Thank you again. And I hope you'll tune in for our next episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. <laughs>